Hey, everyone. My name is Natasha Pickwitz. I'm a pastry chef and writer based in New York City. I have a cookbook coming out spring 2023 about pastry and all the things that I've been working on. And I also really want to make sure you guys know about my amazing cat that I adopted through a rescue program in Greenpoint called Whiskers A Go-Go. And her name is Martini, or Teeny for short, because she looks and feels just like my favorite cocktail, kind of a smooth, cold, slippery martini. Hey, y'all. I'm Jesse Sparks, and this is the One Recipe Podcast, where we talk about the one recipe that pro chefs and good cooks can't do without. You know, the recipes they actually want to make over and over again. Today, we're turning to New York City-based pastry chef and writer Natasha Lee Pickowicz. Now, if you follow her, her many pop-ups, or the publications she's written for, you know that Natasha is an expert in all things dessert, especially when it comes to incorporating super seasonal ingredients. I'm talking about multi-layered cakes studded with glimmering citrus and kaleidoscopic tarts that are equally as beautiful as they are delicious. Hey, Natasha, it's so good to have you. Jesse. Oh my gosh, it's so great to hear from you. You are someone who has done it all, has seen it all. You've worked in restaurants. You're now working in pop-ups and fundraisers and activism bake sales. How do you do it all? <laughs> I mean, it's really crazy. It's funny because I think there's still a stigma around what it means to go freelance as a chef if you're not working in restaurants, especially now there's like this whole pop culture discourse around shows like The Bear and our understanding of what we think chefs are. I mean, I'll still go out and people will be like, oh, you're, are you working? I'm like, yes, very, very hard, I promise. But it just requires another level of organization, I think, and just kind of staying on top of my projects and picking away at things and making sure that I'm filling my schedule with things that I love and bring me like fulfillment and happiness with other projects that sort of help me pay rent and move on with my life. So it's definitely a balance and I'm still figuring it out every day. Well, if anyone can do it with as much grace as you've been doing it, then hats <laughs> off to them, hats off to you. Thank you. That means so much to me. <laughs> One of the things that I've always been really, really curious about is just like, because of the current political moment, you know, things are so charged. You're getting so many people reaching out to you, asking to collaborate, asking to mm -hmm. do pop-ups. How does it feel to be so in demand? And then also, how do you still find joy in the cooking that you're doing still? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think that I do pop-ups not only to sort of get myself baking, feeding other people and doing this practice that I love, but also as a chance to collaborate and work with people that I respect and admire and are friends with or would like to be friends with. So when I'm thinking about where I want to do a pop-up, it's really because of the people. It's because of the people who go to those restaurants or the people who work there. You know, at the end of the day, it's a chance for me to share my work with people again beyond a recipe or beyond something that you might find online. So I think it's those connections and interactions that really sustain me and like keep me feeling excited for the next one. And since you're, you know, 
basically taking over other people's restaurants for a day or for a weekend Mm -hmm. and, you know, completely taking over the menu and just using their facilities. It can kind of feel like moving into someone else's home for a little bit. So there's a lot of negotiation that has to happen, right? Definitely. You know, coming from restaurants, you know, I've been on the other side of things. I know what it means to welcome someone into your space. I always taught my line cooks part of our job and our work is to make sure that the guests in our space feel welcome and have all the things that they need. So, you know, I've been really lucky in that the places where I've gone are staffed with these wonderful people who are so accommodating. They're like, do you want some family meal? Can I get you a coffee? You know, oh, this part of the walk-in like runs a little cold. And that really elevates the experience because, you know, you do want to do things their way a little bit. It's like if people are saying like, you know, calling everyone else chef, it's like you want to kind of fit in to what their expectations are and how they sort of run things there. So it's it's a really fun experience. It just really sounds like it takes a certain kind of very practical magic, you know, to pull these off consistently. Yeah. And it's hard because I think when you don't really have a team, there's no kind of postmortem that you hold except with yourself. And (laughs) you're not getting that immediate feedback from your peers of like, this is how we can make things better or do things differently. And you sort of are holding yourself to this internal standard, which, you know, I think for a lot of pastry chefs is kind of really high and, and maybe unfairly so, like you're overly hard on yourself. So I think at the end of the day, like, I'm just here to not necessarily feel overly stressed about executing things perfectly, but just to make sure that people feel like they're having fun, had something delicious, and, you know, had a chance to do something different. Okay, Natasha, so you have spoken extensively about just how much you think about everyone else when you are cooking and baking for your pop-ups. But I got to ask, what is your one recipe? What's the thing that you make for you? I mean, it has to be the apple tart. I was actually thinking about this when I was at the market because you're sort of seeing also the beginning of these like exciting early fall, late summer items at the market. And I think for me as a pastry chef, the apple is sort of my fruit archetype. It's like the ultimate ingredient that I can use in pastry. And for me, A simple, classic, streamlined apple tart encapsulates everything I love about the market, my approach to pastry, what I want to eat myself, what I want to feed to other people. It's something that to me is evergreen, but never feels boring. And I love that there's infinite variety of sort of type of apple, but it's also something you can buy just as obviously at, you know, a supermarket bodega gas station or the farmer's market. And I think that to me is like a very beautiful thing. It really, really is. You know, just the fact that it's simultaneously everywhere. But Mm -hmm. if you've had a great apple or if you've had a phenomenal apple tart, that sticks with you for so long. It's perfect. It's so true. And I think also like as a pastry chef, I'm kind of like particular with how I treat different ingredients, different things need to be handled in different ways. Like a delicate, beautiful piece of sushi-grade seafood, you're going to want to eat cut in a certain way and eaten at a certain temperature. The same applies to things like fruit, too. Perhaps some of this is personal preference, but I've been doing this for a long time, and I feel like I've dialed in on what I think 
is the perfect apple tart. And that really starts with how you handle the fruit, what kind of apple you use. Do you peel the fruit in advance? How thick are you cutting the apple slices? I've agonized over these questions through trial and error, making in restaurants and at home. And, you know, I feel like I have like the perfect apple tart, but, you know, of course, I'm sure every pastry chef says that. So please walk me through this. I, I okay. got to know every detail. Oh my gosh, I would love to. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you mentioned pie, and that is interesting because I think like apple pie is really the sort of iconic apple dessert that people think of. Mm -hmm. I know this is controversial, but I'm actually not a big pie person. I feel like when fruit is really exceptional, I don't want to mess with it too much. I don't want to add cornstarch. I don't want to add brown sugar. I don't want to add warming spices. None of that. I want to strip all of that away and keep things super simple so that what you're really experiencing is like the most intense expression of apple that you could possibly imagine. So for me, that comes through this sort of freeform, thin, sort of French-style tart or galette. For me, that starts with buttery, very important, very buttery paprise or kind of flaky pie dough mm -hmm. rolled very thinly. And, you know, apple is also one of those magical fruits that plays so well with everything. You know, there's like apple yeah. pie with like cheese on it. There's like apple in like a Waldorf salad. Like it just is a perfect, it's a perfect thing. But for me, you know, I really want to keep it about the apple and I really want to emphasize the appleness of the tart. <laughs> so instead of adding like pear or like... Yeah, or sometimes berries. Yeah, berry, do, a jam, you know, frangipan, yeah, you know, like a nutty spread. None of that. So what I like to do is roll the pastry very thinly. I start to what we call in restaurants building flavor. And this is something that you might see like with savory side cooking where a steak might get seasoned with salt and pepper seared and then maybe gets like basted with butter and like herbs get added at the last second. Like that's how you build flavor in a piece of meat. Mm -hmm. With desserts, I think about building flavor, like how I'm adding things and in what order. So it starts with the thin buttery pie dough and then I'll add like a swipe of apple butter. So this is like a very intense reduced apple flavor that will sort of accent the fresh fruit on top, but not distract from it. And just right there, you've already made a big, well, two big and important deviations from a standard apple pie, mm -hmm. right? Where you're not having that super thick kind of bottom crust. You're not as worried about juices leaking out in the same way. Totally. And, and you know, and I know like people love like nutmeg and cinnamon and all that stuff. That's for me... The apple is a very bright, clean, acidic kind of flavor, and I don't really want to muddy that with warming spices. This is just my, you know, <laughs> this is just how I like to experience apple. Ladies and gents, please put down your pitchforks, no torches, <laughs> you know. I mean, cinnamon is just like, uh, it's often applied with such a heavy hand. Oh, absolutely. And unless I'm like eating something that is like specifically cinnamon forward, like a horchata or something like that. I actually want it to kind of be a little bit in the background more, which can be hard to do when a recipe is like, add a teaspoon of cinnamon to your, like, apple filling. I'm like, that sounds disgusting to me. Yeah. So um, <laughs> anyway, so now we're at the level of adding the apples down. And I think the great thing about baking apples in this kind of thin tart is that even if you 
have an apple that maybe isn't that spectacular eaten out of hand or like raw in a salad, in the oven, something really special happens. The fruit roasts. It kind of intensifies. It caramelizes. It gets yummy and soft in a way that you might not be able to imagine it could go there in a raw state. But for this kind of tart, I tend to love apples that have a bit more acidity to them. So I love a Honeycrisp apple. I love a Granny Smith. These are not hard kinds of apples to find. But what I do is I peel the apples. And I think this is really important because skins of fruits like apples, pears, they get very dry and tough in the oven if you don't peel them first. And I feel like that gets in the way of the perfect bite of apple tart. So what I do is I actually peel the apples and then I set them aside and we're going to use them for the glaze afterward. That way you get to use every part of the apple. And then I'll slice the apple quite thinly. You know, you really want to dial in every aspect of it. You know, maybe I'll do like a quarter of an inch slice. And we're also visual creatures. Things look appetizing and delicious to us if they look beautiful. We want to eat something if it appeals to us visually. So I love these open-faced fruit galettes because you can play around with creating a beautiful pattern or spiral with the fruit on top. So something like apple is perfect. It holds its shape. You know, it's not going to get soggy. It's not going to get overly juicy. I like to create beautiful kind of concentric rings of apple right on top of the apple butter to kind of create nice movement with the tart. A great example of this, because obviously I didn't invent this, but (laughs) if you Google like Chez Panisse tart, they're really well known for their also very thin kind of seasonal fruit galettes. And, you know, your eye is so drawn to these beautiful glazed, thinly sliced pieces of fruit. And I really identify with that approach too. I can already feel some people at home getting a little intimidated. So just (laughs) a quick recap, just a quick summary, you know, to make everyone feel a little bit more comfortable. This really is just as simple as making that beautiful buttery dough. Or buying it. Or buying it. Totally. You know, store-bought is A-OK, as the queen said. Totally. And then just layering it with that swipe of apple butter, those thinly sliced apples that have already been peeled, and then either choosing to arrange them in a pattern or, hey, just even throw them in. Exactly. Like, it really is not that complicated, in my opinion, because it's like you're making a pizza. You know, you got your round of pizza dough, you're throwing on the sauce, and then you're putting your toppings on. You don't want the toppings to go too high because the pizza will get soggy in the oven. I think those kinds of parallels can be drawn here, too. Like, you want a really hot oven because you want the tart to cook really quickly, and then you get that great color on the apples. You get that crispy, flaky edges with the pie dough on the kind of ring of the tart as well. And it bakes much faster than a pie, you know? You can have an apple tart in 22 minutes as opposed to, like, an hour, and you can eat it right away. And I think there's something about that that I love. I mean, I will literally reshape these tarts and put them on a cardboard cake round or just literally a cutout piece of cardboard from a box. I'll let it freeze in my freezer completely and then wrap them in plastic and stack them in my freezer like a frozen pizza. Genius. That's so genius. Yeah. And then all you have to do is kind of like slide it off that cardboard and into your oven and it's done. And I love that. It's like if you can put a Frisbee in your freezer, you can like get a tart in there, you know? Honestly, I think we just found the title for your cookbook. I think <laughs> I think you've nailed it. Uh, Natasha, thank you so much 
much for coming on and talking、oh、Apple Cars with me. I,、yeah. I so appreciated it. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. Natasha Pikowitz is a pastry chef, writer, and the organizer of numerous fundraisers and activist bake sales. Follow her on Instagram at Natasha Pikowitz. You can also find that recipe for her classic apple tart over on Instagram at the.one.recipe or at theonerecipe.org. This week's episode was made for you by producer Erica Romero, associate producer Ren Farrell, technical director Cameron Wiley, and digital producer James Napoli. Special thanks to Shannon Harrison at Houston Public Media and Gary O'Keefe at Marketplace Studios. Sally Swift is our managing producer. APM Studios executives in charge are Chandra Kavati, Alex Shaffer, and Joanne Griffith. Beth Perlman is our executive producer. The One Recipe was created by Sally Swift and Erica Romero. I'm Jesse Sparks. This is APM Studios. Go make some magic. Hold up. 